Lord, I can't, this is, uh, this is, this is way beyond me. So I'm asking for you to stand in my shoes, to give me your thoughts and to speak with my mouth, because I want this to be your message to us, not my message to them. So Lord, if there's something I have planned to say, I don't want to, you don't want to say it, I don't want to say it. But if there's something you have planned to say that you want said that I haven't thought of, that is exactly what I want to speak to your people. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you want us to see, hear, and receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's one passage real quick that isn't going to be up on the board, but it just seems that the one we're going to, one of them that we're going to concentrate on about Moses, um, it, it is a result of something other, crazy other thing that had happened. So when God was beginning his, to orchestrate his, his building of a, a, a people, Abraham and his descendants, which we are all now uh, have, have, have received that covenant and the blessing that comes from it. Um, he did some things, saw what was happening in the world, allowed some things to happen in the world, and weaved together circumstances in such a way that, that not only was the known world saved from famine, but he got a person that he needed to be in a spot that would save the world from famine. He got him there in a way that most of us would go, What? And you've heard of Joseph. Maybe you've heard the Broadway play Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Well, Joseph had many brothers, um, and he was his dad's favorite, and he was kind of spoiled. He had this really cool coat that his dad had given him. And, and so one day God gave him a couple of dreams and that it was the sun and the moon would bow down to him and so would the stars and the stalks of grain would, would bow down. And, and he, he, had the, he had the audacity to share that with his brothers and his mom and his dad, and they did not receive it well. Oh, we're going to bow down to you, you spoiled, rotten, little, good for nothing. But dad still liked him most. And there was a day when his dad, or uh, there was a time when his dad had sent his other brothers, not him, because he doesn't have to go sleep in the field. He gets to stay home with dad. But sent his brothers off into the Negev, into the desert, into the wilderness to tend the, their sheep. And they had many. And uh, he hadn't heard a report back in a while. So he said to Joseph, Joseph, I want you to go check on him. I'm going to go check on and then bring me back a report. So again, he doesn't have to sleep in the wilderness for weeks on end, but for a couple of days, and he's the messenger. And you know the story that he, he goes and his brothers, they don't like him, and so they decide to kill him, and then they decide to sell him into slavery, and da-da-da-da-da, and he ends up um, in Potiphar's house as a slave, and then he, he gains some notoriety, gets in trouble with Potiphar's wife, he ends up in prison, he spends years, I mean like over a decade in prison, and then he gets out and he rises to power, he becomes number two in all of Egypt, and he's the one that helps rescue the known world from famine. That is a great God story and how God weaved, he, he warped and woofed everything together so that, but here's how Joseph ended up in the, in, in, coming in contact with his brother so they could sell him out. Joseph arrived at Shechem. This is not on the screen. Joseph arrives at Shechem. A man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? Oh, they moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. Now, the chances of this encounter are absolutely astronomical. It'd be like you wandering around in Kansas before there were roads, and you run into someone that you find out is your long-lost uncle. It is that 
weird of a thing. If you've ever been to the Middle East, you know that this, this Negev, this, it's craggy, it's rocky, there's hills, there's, there's huge boulders everywhere. You can't necessarily see, and they didn't have roads. They might've had watering hole here, a watering hole there, and some paths where the sheep, and they all kind of knew where the little tufts of grass were, that where they could feed their sheep. But Joseph is wandering around, and some guy sees him, and that guy happens to be a guy that, that decides to seek Joseph out. What are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers. Oh, he happened to have seen his brothers and been close enough to overhear them. And he told them where they were going. So God wanted Joseph so badly to be put in this situation, which we think is terrible, where he was sold into slavery, but it was so that God could rescue the known world from famine. All the things, if Joseph were to stubbed his toe and stopped and tended to his toe, he would not have run into that man. If Joseph would have, have walked not at 2.8 miles an hour, but 2.6 miles an hour, he would not have run into that man. If that man had decided, man, I'm just wandering out here all by myself. What's he doing there? Um, I'm going to go home. Joseph would not have ended up being the savior of the known world. The intricacies, the, 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 the nuances, the minutia that God orchestrates to make sure that that chance encounter happens. And we see it again in the book of Exodus, Moses, who's the, the, the deliverer of Egypt. Now remember that the, the, the God brought through Joseph, God brought the people of God to Egypt and they were, they were taken care of for a long time. But over time, as one Pharaoh died and another died, they forgot about God's power and they ended up enslaving the Israelite people. And then they cried out to God after 400 years and God decided to bring them a deliverer who would, who would, who would, all kinds of miracles and then part the Red Sea and he would bring the people of God out of Israel and they would, they would, they would wander around in the Negev, the desert for 40 years, but then he would bring them into the promised land and through them and through his covenant with them, Jesus would come and he would deliver all of us. But if this encounter, if anything went wrong with the encounter we're going to read today, you and I are doomed because all, none of that other stuff that's all dependent on this chance encounter. None of this would have happened. Now, could have God have weaved it together a different way? Sure. But this is the way he chose, and this is how intimately involved he is in history and in the lives of people. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Now, I've never met a mom Although now I have two, uh, I have two sons that say that they were, anyway, I've never met a mom that goes, oh yeah, this kid looks like E.T. Beef jerky. Ah. But I did find out yesterday, Pastor Doug stood up to do the pastoral concerns after the message. He goes, I got to take issue. I'm sitting right there. I take issue with one thing. And I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm public humiliation. He goes, he goes, when I was born, my aunt came and she was saying to my mom, oh, he's so cute, blah, blah, blah. And, and his mom started crying and said, he looks like a monkey. And then after that, today, after the first service, Pastor Kirk comes up to me, he goes, he goes, my grandma had pictures, hospital pictures of all the grandkids. And there were, I don't know, dozens, except me, because they would not put in public the picture of Kurt in, I've never met a mom, but they exist apparently. So this woman saw that he was a fine child. I guess he was handsome. Um, and she hid him away for three months. And so there was a problem with uh, Hebrew people having sons back then. So that because of the Jewish and all that. So she hid him away for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket 
reeds and, and, uh, and uh, basket form and coated it with tar and pitch to keep it afloat. Uh, and then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the back of the Nile. His sister, meaning the Levite, we're almost certain, the Levite dad, so Moses' dad's sister, so Moses' aunt, kind of followed along to watch what was happening. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And then Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's daughter, so the God of the day, Pharaoh, that's how they see him, his daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She, Pharaoh's daughter, saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then the sister, Moses' aunt, who was off to the side, had the guts to come up to Pharaoh's daughter. He goes, Do, uh, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go. And the girl, the aunt, went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me. I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now, okay, here's this woman who has a baby that she's not really supposed to have. She hides him away for a while, and she decides, well, maybe there's a chance if I put him in this little boat and send him down the Nile that someone will find him and he'll be okay. She hid him amongst the reeds. Now, I don't know if you know about currents in rivers. I don't know much, although I do love fishing. I love to read the current to kind of see where the fish are. But let me tell you one quick story about duck hunting one time in, in the Muskegon River. I'm in a 10-foot John boat. And I'm talking about this because of the reeds and where she put the, the, the baby. But um, I'm in a 10-foot John boat with my friend Steve Rocket. And on the back of the boat, and it, we had just gotten this boat all rigged up, but it, we're two big guys. We got all our hunting gear. There's this much of the boat above the water. There's an old six-horse Evinrude on the back that has the gas tank on top of it. It's not a separate gas tank. And, we, and we're putzing along. It's dark. We're trying to get to our spot. We've got a group of people that we're meeting there. One group is following us in a really nice 20-foot John boat with a 95-inch beam. I mean, it was beautiful. This one, not. And, and the, mo the, motor, the motor would run for a minute, and then it would stop. And then it would run for a minute, and then it would stop. And Steve's a mechanic. And so he realized that it wasn't getting enough air. So he unscrewed the gas cap. And he's singing, literally, I fixed the motor, I fixed the motor. And I'm in the front trying to keep steady because if the, it goes this way, water's going to come over, we're doomed, right? So, and he's singing, I fixed the motor, and I, I carefully turn around. And there's an orange halo coming up over Steve's head. The motor's on fire. I'm not kidding. Steve plays guitar for us quite often. Um, ask him the story. And Steve has these really strong, kind of gnarly hands because he's a mechanic. He's been wrenching his whole life. And, and the, at first, the flame is a halo. And then it's, I mean, it is over his head, flames, and it's gas. And so he's able with his hands to un, un, untwirl the little things on that motor. And he's just going to dip it in the water, hoping it'll go out. But he dipped it and it went to the bottom. And you could see it glow all the way down. Meanwhile, I'm freaked out because we're going to sink. Water's coming over the top. Our life jackets are floating. I grab our guns, one box of ammo, and the back of Steve's collar because we're kind of drifting over toward the shore. And we're going to get out. We didn't have our life jackets on. Smart. 
especially in this. So we get out, we're up to our waist, our chest waders come up to here, we're right there, and we see this boat, that, that 20-foot John boat with a 95-inch beam with the guys in it. They have a big spotlight on the front, and we hear them go, and they're coming to rescue us, and they did. And we went off hunting, but we looked and looked and looked for the rest of our gear that had floated down the river. And you would think that if you, if, if you get over near the thing and you could kind of predict that the current's gonna go here and it's gonna end up over here, so we look here, we look here, we look here, never found it. Why? Because the current does weird things. Have you ever seen a lay down in a river and then the next time you go there, that lay down is gone? Do you think someone actually came and horked that thing out of there or did just enough current, just enough thing happen that dislodged it and moved it on down the river? She put a baby in a boat in the Nile River and it didn't drift away so that the baby either drowned or starved. If she would have given birth two days later, that three months would have been two days later and the Pharaoh's daughter would not have been there. If the, if the currents had, had caught the edge of that basket and flipped it out of the reeds and sent it down the Nile, that baby would have died or drowned and Moses would not be the deliverer. If the Pharaoh's daughter had taken just a few more minutes or just sent the servant girls down there to get some water to come back so she could bathe in the palace or the pyramid or whatever, wherever they lived, it wouldn't have happened. If, if, if the sister had decided it's too risky for me to watch this baby, it's too risky for me to approach Pharaoh's daughter, and even think that, that the, the mother of the child gets to raise the child and be paid for it when she wasn't supposed to have the child to begin with. How God worked and weaved and woofed, and it, it's, it's phenomenal. And if you think about it, this is a theme that goes all the way through Scripture. I was going to highlight a couple of New Te- or an Old Te- another Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. I know I'm talking fast, but this is really cool. Do you know that when Jesus, the scripture says that, you know, when, 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 for such a time as this, that when Jesus was born, if he had been born two years or 200 years earlier, the gospel would not have been able to travel around the known world or 200 years later, the politics would have made it so that it couldn't have, it couldn't have gone around the known world that, that God allowed Rome to develop all the roads um, and all the transportation and all the trade uh, around the known world so that when Jesus was born and all the stars had to align, and I mean that literally, that the star of Bethlehem, how that astronomical sign had to happen. It, it had to be at a certain time, a certain day, or for a certain month so the Magi could see it and come. And so that the, the, and he, and, and, and the, the inn had to be full so that they were in a stable so that when the angels told the shepherds they could come. And then Koine Greek, the international trade language had been developed so that everybody knew it. And then when, when Jesus um, lived his life and he died and he, and he rose again from the dead and he ascended to the Father and he sent his spirit at Pentecost and people were able to speak in languages that they did not understand so that people could hear the gospel presented in their own language. And God developed this church, this supernatural vehicle by which he's gonna communicate and advance the growth of his kingdom. And that they, they, they're, 3,000 people are added in one day and it just gets gross and gross and they're loving it. Everyone is meet, Everyone has their needs met. Everyone gives to anyone as they have need. Miraculous signs were done daily. And then they grow and they grow and they grow. And it was going to be a Jerusalem-only movement. But God allowed some terrible leader to come in and decide that he wanted to persecute Christians and get rid of them. And he scattered them all over the known world. And they went with Koine Greek. And they went down the Roman roads. And they were able to communicate the gospel and spread the kingdom. And you and I are a result of that. It is phenomenal. And I mean that in the academic sense of the world. There is no explanation for how many things could have changed, how many tweaks, how many little bitty things could have happened to make none of that take place. That baby Moses should have died and he ends up being the deliverer. That baby Jesus should have died. All the firstborn children under three years old were murdered. 
God is always working his plan in the intricate, the intricate and intimate way he does, I think we miss. So I'm going to tell you one more story. I'll give you some encouragements at the end, but one more story of length. And yeah, I'm a grandpa now, so of course I'm going to be talking about my granddaughter. But Lucy Claire Sizemore was born in the States. It was the 18th of November. In New Zealand, it was the 19th of November. She gets two birthdays according to grandpa from now on. But I'm going to tell you, this little girl who was born on the 19th in New Zealand, in the other, other hemisphere, that she was born because of call waiting. Yeah. When I was growing up, by the way, those of you young enough, you, you have phones like this. Call waiting to you is one button that says, hold and accept, end and accept. That is not how it worked when I was younger. Call waiting was brand new to, to, to my area of the country uh, in, in the, on the east side of Grand Rapids in 1984. And we begged my mom to get it. But here's how it went. There were these phones that actually had buttons on it that you pushed, physical buttons. And they made little, little tones. My number was 949-9095. I was so glad when we got rid of all those little dial phones. So you want to know what your friends are doing on the weekend. It used to be that you didn't call a person, you called a place. Now, if someone calls me, hey, or Trent Walker, if I don't know who it is, or if it's one of my brothers, what? Just for fun. But you used to call a place and you were taught how to answer the phone. Hello, this is Trent Walker speaking. Who may I ask is calling? And then you're very polite. I will get them for you. Mom! Okay. But your phone was in one spot. There might have been two or three around the house, but for us, we had one phone in one spot. It was in the dining area. We had a dining area, a kitchen, a, 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 a dining room, and a living room. And so we had one of those really long cords about here, from here, three quarters of the way back that I could go through two rooms, close the door, sit by the heater vent, talk to my friends or my girlfriend. But my mom, who was grieving, my dad had just lost his business. He had gone bankrupt. And uh, so we don't have much money. And my mom is grieving. So the divorce and my dad's remarried and it's all weird. And so she's talking to her friends out at nauseam on the phone. And we just want to call waiting so that if our friends call, they could interrupt. We don't, it's not just a busy signal. And we begged her and begged her $9.95 a month. And the, by the way, the tone, depending on what phone company or what phone you had, it either sounded like when another line was coming in boop, or you remember? Okay. So we'll get back to the call waiting in a minute. Now, you know, most of you know that I went to Hope College. And while at Hope College, made a bunch of mistakes, built a testimony. Um, don't do that. Met Lynn's sister, Gail, and uh, was also friends with some of her brother Scott's friends. Lynn and I met, and we got to know each other. We never would have dated in college. She was part of the God Squad, and I was not. But we knew each other and had a reasonable friendship. We'd had a couple of kind of deep conversations. She is a cougar. She's older than I am, so she graduated. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on, that was funny. 
nine months older than me, that's it. So she graduated a year before me and I graduated the year after. On the year before my graduation, she and her, her singing partner, Pam, went off to Arizona. They were kind of on a music tour, Lynn Wright's music. She and Pam used to sing together a lot and they just kind of did this tour amongst churches and she ended up moving back into Pam's home of her upbringing because her parents lived somewhere else at the time and they moved to Western Springs. I moved to Elmhurst, Illinois on Young Life Staff. And Lynn and I kept running into people um, are running into each other at these Bible studies and young adult things that neither of us went to very often. And somehow, some way, I got up the courage to, add, to, to convince Lynn and Pam, not to ask Lynn out, but to say, you guys owe me a pizza. And so they bought me a pizza and I went over to their house with a friend of mine and Chris's, Keith Gruger. We were over there, we had pizza, we prayed a lot, we sang a lot. And on my way home, I was in love with Lynn. Now I fought it, that was February 22, 1989. I fought it and fought it and fought it until February 26, 1989. We started dating and before that year was over, you know, I had all those injuries. We've talked about that stuff before during that year. By December 30, 1989, we were married. We've been married for just over 31 years at this point. And we got married and soon after that, we had a pregnancy and we came up to Grand Rapids to visit my mother and we lost the child. And we finished up our time in Elmhurst and we came back up, uh, came back, we moved back up to Holland. And before we were even on insurance, we were, we were pregnant again. And that pregnancy resulted in May of our daughter Elise being born. And then 20 months later, our son Cam was born. But, but as they were growing up, God worked certain things in such a way that Elise ended up at Calvin College for a summer program for those considering ministry as a vocation. And she met this guy, Matt Sizemore. Three strikes against this kid, by the way. Preacher's kid. Calvin student. 6'5", 250, size 14 foot. He can break me like a chicken bone. They fell in love and I love the guy. And they went off to Denver. She worked on Young Life Staff and then the two of them as, as a married couple decided that they, were, that they were called to the mission field. And they went off to the mission field for, for six months. It ended up being eight months. And then they came home, they lived with us for eight months. And then they went back full time on staff with Youth with a, with a Mission in Queenstown, uh, uh, Queenstown New Zealand. And um, last December, they surprised us. On December 8th, they came home. They were pregnant, but over that weekend, they lost the baby. And they stayed with us for five weeks and then headed back to New Zealand. And a couple of months later, they swear it wasn't a COVID baby, but they were pregnant again. And this past November, my granddaughter, Lucy Claire Sizemore, was born. Now, there's an awful lot of things that could have been different if Lynn and I had not miscarried when that first child, Elise, would never have been born. If Elise and Matt had not miscarried that first child, it was a terrible thing. Lucy would not have been born. If it weren't for the brownout of 1965, I would not be born. I don't have any idea if there's a brownout. But all those decisions, all those things, all those injuries, all those disappointments, all that stuff, for me, if I look back, the most ridiculous part of this whole story is that my granddaughter was born because of call waiting. We, we talked my mom into it, $9.95 a month. And I'm deciding I'd, I'd apply to Wittenberg College outside of Columbus, Ohio, Gambier, Ohio, or, uh, uh, Kenyon College in Gambier, Ohio. Hmm. Wheaton College decided not to go to Wheaton when I had to sign a thing that says you can't play cards. And for me, the, the, uh, apparently the basis of my existence was playing poker with my buddies. Probably not a wise decision. And I narrowed it down to Albion College and Hope College. Hope College, I had applied 
applied to because my guidance counselor uh, said, hey, that might be a good school for you. So I applied. It was 25 bucks. Um, got the financial packages, uh, presidential scholarship at Hope College, which I didn't know was a big deal, but it was. Um, and then this business administration thing and a really good financial package from Albion College. My best friend from high school, John Toll, was going to Albion. We were going to room together. My decision's kind of made. And I get a phone call from an alum from Hope College uh, one day in uh, probably March or April of 1984. Hey, this is my, you know, so-and-so is my name. I'm an alum from Hope College. Realize, see that you, you got a pretty good package. Congratulations on the presidential scholarship. That's a big deal if you didn't know it. And, and uh, wondering if you've made your decision yet um, because we haven't seen your paperwork. And I said, well, you know, I got a little bit better package at Albion and my best friend's going there. We're going to room together. So I think I'm going to go to Albion College. And he goes, well, okay, well, thanks for letting me know. Whatever that. And it happened again. I said, excuse me, just for a moment, because I was polite on the phone. And, and I go over to take the other call. No kidding, alum from Albion College from the area asking the same questions. Hey, we realize that we don't have your stuff in. You got a really good financial package. Wondering if you've made your decision yet. And is there any questions that I can answer? Well, I'm on the phone on the other line right now with a guy from Hope College. And I told him I'm coming to Albion. And he goes, well, great. I said, actually, I think I want to Hope. Hung up, went back to the guy from Hope. I was, that was a guy from Albion. Oh, he must have been thrilled. Actually, I told him I'm coming to Hope. I'll send my stuff in tomorrow. That's how I decided. 18-year-old kid made a split-second decision because of call waiting that resulted in marriage, two children that would not exist. I would never would have known any of you, nor would you have known me, because Albion was a duck of a call, and Hope was an acceptance of it to me. I was either going ministry or I was going business. Lucy Claire Sizemore is born, exists today because of call waiting. That is the stupidest story I've ever told. <laughs> but it is the God's honest truth. I don't think you have any idea how intimately God is involved in the circumstances of your life. If we didn't have call waiting, I would have got the call from the guy from Hope. I would have told him I'm going to Albion and then I would have sent my stuff in. If you think about all the times you've been stuck in traffic and you drive by an accident and that could have been you, you think of all the ways it could, and, you, and there's some of those that happen that, and they end up being difficult and horrible and, 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 and painful and hurtful, and, but God is intimately warping and woofing your life. And if you don't see it, I'm going to tell you one small story that happened to me. On th it didn't happen to me. It happened to someone else. He called me on Thursday morning. And I told you last week that the January 6th and the whole electric thing was going to, probably going to get weird, right? And it did. It got way weirder than I thought, but it got weird. And a, a friend of mine, so this is why I was able to take this well when, it, when he called. But I got a call in the morning that said, I have an epiphany from the Lord that I think I, I need to share with you. Now, sometimes when someone tells me they have a word from the Lord, I have to put my best pastor face on and just realize that this is more about them than it is about me because it's not going to be positive. And then take the prickly things, you know, some of them are true. But I called the person back and, and we had a little hiccup in, in how things worked. But this is what this person said to me. I woke up this morning, I was very frustrated and I'm not quoting exactly, but this is how the conversation went. Very frustrated with what's happening in our country. And he, I know him politically. I know where he is. And it didn't go the way he wanted. 
And so I was crying out to God this morning. And God said, he convicted me. And then he encouraged me. He said, you've placed your faith in man and not in God. I've got this. And God gave me a little word at that moment because I knew I was planning this message about the intimate and intricate and minute ways that God interacts in the lives of, of human history, but in the lives of individual persons. So with all the things God has going on in the world, all the political unrest around the world, all the people that are enslaved because of the gospel around the world, all the different things that are going on in the world, God sees you as important enough to convict you today when you needed it and encourage you. God, it's like he pushed pause on the whole world to say to this person, I've got it and I've got you. There's not one believer that doesn't have an event or an experience like that in their lives. You may not notice it, but I'm hoping from this point forward you will. The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number one, the question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer that I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We love that. But there's a spot in there that quotes scripture and it says, he, 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 he knows me so well and loves me so much that he will not allow, that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my father in heaven. He planned when that hair would fall out. That is how intimately, intricately, and minutely God is involved in your life. And so you see what's going on and it frustrates or you're celebrating. I don't know. But God is weaving human history through you, in you, for you, and from you right now. Please do not miss that God deals in details. And you aren't a detail but every decision you make is. He's not taking away your free will, but he is making sure that in all things, he works together for the good for those who trust in Christ Jesus and are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Lord, what are the chances? That's another one of those sayings we have in our world. What are the chances? Well, statistically, they're astronomical, but theologically, they're guaranteed because you are intimately involved. You actually know everything. So Lord, give us the courage to trust you in that. And Lord, also give us the eyes to see either something in our past or something that happens later today or this week that seems insignificant, but that you decide might be a watershed point in our lives and help us trust you even when we can't see that which we trust you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen.